We are in the book of Romans, the 14th chapter. We're going to ver- begin with verse 10. And uh, I want to start with a quote from Michael Wells. Michael has been here a few times. He's gone on to be with the Lord recently. Uh, but uh, I, just, I ran across this quote of his, and I just, uh, I just love it. Let me read it to you. It says, for years, I believed I was, for years I believed that I was called to judge others. You ever felt that way? After all, if I could not pull myself up, the next best thing was to bring others down. (laughs) Then I discovered in the center of God's heart a cross. Not judgment. And from my experience of preaching both the cross and judgment, I can say I like the cross much better. (laughs) Reminds me of mercy triumphs over judgment, right? God's voice to me has never been judgmental, but loving. And then this phrase I want us to remember. The measure of a disciple's judgmental attitude is just about the same as his distance from dwelling in the love of Christ. The measure of a disciple's judgmental attitude is just about the same as his distance from dwelling in the love of Christ. The closer The closer we walk this journey with Jesus, the less we feel compelled to cast judgment on other people. And if we're prone to highlight the faults in others, the antidote is the dwelling in the love of Jesus Christ. Because His way towards us is not one of judgment, but of love. As we've seen, Paul presenting the gospel throughout the book of Romans, he has shown how good, how loving, how grace-filled God is in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, even though we were yet sinners, undeserving sinners, no uh, merit to have before Him, yet He came and placed His Son on the cross. He came not with condemnation, but with this heart for reconciliation, forgiveness, mercy, grace. And it must have broken Paul's heart and the heart of God to see judgment taking place between God's people. Because it's so unlike Jesus. It's so unlike the gospel. The measure of a disciple's judgmental attitude is just about the same as his distance from dwelling in the love of Christ. As we saw last week, Paul is addressing two groups of people in this chapter. They are the weak in the church and the strong in the church. I didn't mean to use pointers there like the weak and the strong. I'm sorry. The weak are those Christians who may be uh, young in their faith, still understanding the gospel, still understanding Scripture, and their focus is all about obedience to to, to the rules of what they perceive the faith is all about, and they want to be good and not bad, and they... They're trying to clean up their act from the former life. And and much of the conflict is over adhering to the Jewish law and its rules about eating meat in the passage. But isn't it true that religious rules have changed from every generation? It it might have been about eating food then. It might have been about going to movies or putting on makeup or how long the dress is or whatever through the years, right? Right? They change with every generation. And people become legalistic 
which has this byproduct of looking down on or judging those who aren't keeping the rules the way you think they ought to. And by the way, if I have to keep them, <laughs> so do you, right? And then we have the strong people. And these are people who understand that Christ established this whole new covenant and this whole new relationship between God and man and that we have no righteousness of our own and it's all been given to us and uh, it could not be earned nor could our efforts ever even sustain that righteousness. We need Jesus. And they have learned this freedom from rule keeping and uh, yet Paul has a problem with these people. This might hit home today. (laughs) The problem that Paul has with these people is that they are judging the legalists. Have you ever been prone to judge a legalist? The weaker brothers who are keeping the rules. Because these stronger Christians and believers, they saw legalism as an affront to the gospel, and it is. But they're willing to destroy unity in the church to show how right they are when it comes to legalism. He starts this passage we're going to read today, verse 10, with two questions. And the first one is directed at the strong, I believe, and the second one is directed at the weak. But you... Why do you judge your brother? And you can look up in the previous verses where judgment was the temptation of the strong. But you, why do you judge your brother? And then to the weak. Or you, again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? In other words, he's not following the rules and you have contempt and scorn for him. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written... And then he quotes Isaiah. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. But rather determine this or decide this, make this decision not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus. This is Paul talking. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But to him, those weaker brothers, who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. There's just a lot in this passage. (laughs) He starts here by pointing out that uh, we're family. He calls us brothers. Why, Why do you judge your brother? Why do you regard your brother with contempt? And so I'd make this point. We completely accept each other because we're family. Are we family? As believers in Christ, are we family? Brothers and sisters in Christ? Look around. Family. 
What do you think? You take each other? You see, both judging your brother or having contempt for him are both destructive and divisive attitudes regardless of how messed up or ignorant or legalistic they might be. God has accepted both the weak and the strong, died for both, risen to, our, uh, risen to be our common Lord, and He has given us the strongest of ties, family. And whether we're thinking of the weak with all their tedious doubts and fears, or of the strong with all their brash assurances and their freedom, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all on a journey together, and we all need each other. And when we remember we're family, our attitude to one another becomes much less critical, impatient, more generous, tender. Now, does that mean we can't disagree about things? Some of you are going, no, it sure doesn't. <laughs> we can disagree. I mean, we can even, we can even carry it to the point of agreeing to disagree, Right? But at the end of the day, we're family. And not judging requires this release from oh, all kinds of things. Selfishness or pride or reputation or getting my way or just whatever. Because pride says I'm right, you're wrong, and you should see that. I'm here to convince you. <laughs> you know where it gets tough? It gets tough when you know you're right and you know they're wrong. That's when it gets tough. Because it's, it's, it's placing above that this, this love, this unconditional acceptance that wants to help the brother or the sister grow. And take a next step in their journey and, and not be put down, stifled, or even made to, be, to feel inferior or judged. You know, in the second half of the verse 10, Paul says that we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. You ever heard that in your life? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. It's usually said like that, right? I don't know about you, but on first glance, doesn't it seem a little condemning? (laughs) You better stop treating each other the way you do because one day you're going to have to answer for it. That's what a parent might say to a disruptive kid. And it looks as though Paul is trying to use maybe fear to straighten up the Roman believers, but I don't really think that's the context at all. That's not what he's trying to say. He is saying, (laughs) get your eyes, your focus off the activities, the actions, the behaviors of other people and put it on the goal of life. Jesus. Jesus. Where one day, it's your your daily pursuit. I want to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. You had your eyes on me. You you, you heard my call. You walked in my ways. You, You let me do my thing through your life. Well done. I mean, I thought about this. I thought... Okay, can you imagine standing before Jesus and saying something like this? Jesus, you're going to be so proud of me. 
I was able to go from church to church telling people where they weren't following you correctly. And believe me, when you do that, you do go from church to church. I was able to let people know where their theology was wrong. (laughs) And I was able to show them how legalistic they were. Aren't you proud of me? Or, Or maybe... They say something like this, Jesus, you are going to be so proud of me. I made it my life's goal to limit my sins and do as many righteous acts as I could. (laughs) I also took it upon myself (laughs) to tell others where they were in violation of your ways to help them in their spiritual journey. Aren't you proud of me? What do you think Jesus' response would be? You see, we completely accept each other because He, Jesus, is our focus. And if Jesus is our our focus of every moment of our day, there is this flow that we get from Him, this righteousness, this love, this unconditional acceptance that just is passed through our lives to one another. He so wants us to get our eyes off of how deficient everyone around us happens to be. (laughs) And back on Him. I mean, I think of Hebrews 12, 2 a lot in my life. Let us fix, and the word means transfix, almost in a daze or a trance. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. Of our faith. And there's just no way you can have the full view of what the cross has done for you and try to be straightening out your brother. The cross, it humbles us, it slays us, it, it drops us to our knees to know that He, Jesus, would reach down into our lives with His grace and to claim us as His own. I can't have that picture in my mind. I can't be living that and then climb on the bench, the judge's bench, and put my fellow human beings under trial and start pronouncing judgment and sentences. Like I said last week, we're not qualified, are we? We're just not qualified. God is the only judge. Verse 13 The admonition is directed to the strong, the mature in Christ. Those that have been around a while understand the freedom that is found in grace. Don't judge one another anymore. Make a decision not to put a stumbling block in a brother's way. Do everything you can to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ to spiritual growth. You spur them on. If they are in a stage of growth where they are still dealing with some behaviors from their past, don't don't flaunt your freedom in front of them is what it means. Don't condemn the legalist for being legalistic. Is it all right to say that in a grace church? Don't condemn the legalist for their legalism. Is legalism deadly? Sure it is. Should we do all we can to help people understand how Christ has set them free from rule keeping? Sure we should. 
But condemnation is quite something different. Not only that, how many people do you know have changed because they were condemned? (laughs) It just flat doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not the way of God. Judging always repels people. Accepting them just the way they are with their hang-ups or their misconceptions or their bad theology or whatever leads to growth, it leads to change, and it lets God do His work. It would be like a recovering alcoholic who finds Christ and decides, you know, alcohol is bad for me. In fact, I think alcohol is evil because... I've seen what it's done to me, and uh, he attends a dinner party with new friends he's made at church, and they know his past, yet they want to instruct him on how free he now is, so they bring out the wine. (laughs) Come on, brother, you're free. They want to challenge his legalism with their freedom. How do you think that turns out? Not well, I would think. See, so many times we do put issues Ahead of people. God doesn't. The story is told of a high school girl with a strict church background that was taught it was sinful for women to wear makeup. But peer pressure at school from other Christian girls raised in other churches led her to begin putting on makeup after leaving home in the morning and wiping it off before coming home. None of you ladies have ever done that, have you? Now, though the Bible nowhere forbids makeup, the girl was violating her conscience as she did this. She was not convinced yet. Spiritually within herself, she was choosing popularity over faithfulness to God. And as a result, she soon found herself much more open to real violations of God's will in the area of sexuality. She had stumbled because her Christian friends had mocked her principles, misguided, though they may have been. We completely accept each other because people matter more than issues, folks. Amen. I think I said that last week. People matter more than issues. It breaks my heart when believers make issues more important than each other. It breaks my heart when I do it. I I, I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. Jesus can be trusted with the development of other people's behavior. Jesus can be trusted with the development of other people's behavior. It's just not my responsibility. I'm going to decide, I'm going to determine, make a decision, as the passage says, not to cause my brother to stumble. I'm not going to tell him his theology is wrong, get it right. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to help him process his faith. I'm going to love him. And maybe as I share what God has done in my life and the beauty of His grace in me, His theology begins to be challenged. His position may change. If he struggles with a bad habit, he is trying to gain freedom over. I'm not going to tell him he's wrong and flaunt my freedom. Because if I do, I lose all influence in his life. Because he doesn't see me as someone who just cares And loves him, but it's about his behavior. Not only that, when I do that, it stimulates his temptation to the legalism that is in his life already. 
Because he feels abstaining is right, and I feel that he's wrong because I'm free. I'm going to read verse 15 again. It says, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. And you could, you could substitute the word food there for any uh, religious rule you can think of. Because this, this calls into question how believers see one another. It's not just within the church. It's how this church sees believers in another church, in another church, in a denomination. And maybe their theology is a little bit different. And, you know I, know, I know it doesn't go on here, but did you know that there are churches that talk bad about other churches' theology? Did you know that that occurs? I know here in Grace, you're kind of used to that not being the case, right? Uh-huh. How we treat one another. Do we treat our, uh, each other to try to get our point across, to get our opinions heard and followed, to straighten each other up? And, or do we see each other as these amazing trophies of God's grace? This, this transformed life. Because of the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. We completely accept each other because Christ died for us all. He uses the word destroy in verse 15. Don't destroy your brother because of the issue over which you disagree. This doesn't mean that he's going to be eternally lost. It, it means that we can spiritually demoralize each other over issues. Has that ever happened in your life where you've been discussing an issue with a Christian brother or sister and you just come away just demoralized? Where the conversation went? I've had those kinds of conversations and... Uh, I just come away from those uh, just feeling so demoralized. Mostly for how I participated. Because in the midst of disagreement, sometimes that old ugly flesh rears its head and it wants to make a point. It wants to be right. It, it wants to make the issue more important than the person. And I, I come away because... I, feeling so badly about it because I know that that's what Satan wants. He wants to drive a wedge. He wants to elevate issues over people. and He, he, he doesn't want us at the foot of the cross seeing our brother or our sister as a beautiful, transformed life and testimony to the grace of Jesus. And verse 15 gives us that remedy for when... We see those kinds of things happening. You look at the brother you're in conflict with over an issue and you see God's grace poured over him. You see him bowing before the cross, being washed by the precious flowing blood of Christ and you see what Jesus has done for him. How could you? Who are you to step in and be disruptive to this beautiful demonstration of the grace of Jesus Christ for him? with which you may disagree. Jesus gave his life for them. And the passage is saying, can't we give up our freedom sometimes to help a brother on his journey? That's the church 
being the church, this place of mutual edification. A place where strong believers do everything possible to display this love for the weaker. A place where the weak know they are conditionally, unconditionally loved. Accepted. Forgiven. There's a quote I remember from a conference I went to. He said, I want the church to be a safe place to hear a dangerous message. I've always stuck with that. I want the church to be safe, relationally safe, so that the weak or the unbeliever can come and can process their faith and journey with their faith in a spirit of unconditional acceptance and camaraderie and relationship. I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm going to go down to verse 17. We're going to talk about it next week. It's in next week's passage. But it just fits so perfect to close this service today. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking or any other religious rule. No, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The beauty of the kingdom is not about religious rules and it's not about issues. It's about the very gift of righteousness that is Christ Himself living His life in us. We have no righteousness apart from Him. So when the Bible speaks of righteousness, we know that is the very life of Jesus. Living in us. It's it's about this settledness, this peace. Our spirit is settled. And we don't have this driving angst to change people to our opinion. (laughs) We're at peace. And we don't get all upset about everything that just doesn't really matter in light of eternity. And the kingdom of God is Joy in the Holy Spirit, this abiding, ever-present, positive awareness of the beauty of Christ radiating in me. It's the very power of God that makes my, well, it makes me pinch myself sometimes. Make sure I'm not dreaming. Could Jesus and this walk with Him be so exhilarating, so filled with joy, so exciting? And we've all experienced, there is no joy in life when we are constantly seeing how deficient everyone around us is. (laughs) There's just no joy in that. And in many ways, the whole chapter 14 of Romans is simply encouraging us to just look at people the way God looks at them. He loves them. He puts up with them. Aren't you glad he puts up with us, folks? <laughs> he works with us. He, he works with them. He accepts us. He accepts them. He sees the potential of what his Holy Spirit can do in them. He knows that real change happens in people's lives when they're loved, accepted, listened to, and not when they're given some kind of bar in which they have to behavior reach with their positive and good behavior, and they're always made to feel inferior. That's not God. The beautiful thing about all this is the privilege he gives us to present him, to represent him 
in each other's lives. We can know that we're unconditionally loved and accepted because we are by our brothers and sisters. We can grow in our relationship with Him because of, because of the investment that people have made in our lives. People who've loved us, who've taught us, who've journeyed with us, who've shepherded us. Who... I want you to bow your heads with me. I, I wonder in these closing moments if there would be people here today who who just know they have been robbed of the peace and joy of that last verse. That Jesus is because they have let issues with people become more important. It, it, it can be anything, as we know. It can be, it can be a, a family member where you had an issue about politics and it could be a co-worker who goes to another church and you argue about theology. It can be a, another church member over personal preferences in ministry or whatever. And I wonder if there are people here today who can just, uh, who would desire to let go of the issue. Just say, I want to I come back in close to this dwelling place of God's love that I can only find in Him in the abiding presence and power of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I'm going to pray in just a moment. I want you to just open up yourself to what Jesus has already done in you. Say, Jesus, come and fill those places where judgment has been and Father, work a miracle in my life that I can let go of the anger or the resentment or the thing. And pray that He would fill you fresh, new, with His love for others. Father, in these moments of uh, conclusion and decision, I know in my own life, Father, as I have grappled with this chapter in light of the gospel of the whole book of Romans and struggled with this chapter and wrestled with it and asked for you to look deep into my heart and my soul. Lord, I've seen how, how critical it is. This whole idea of this chapter. How marred the church gets when it's divisive, when it's competing. And Father, I pray that that would not be so among us. I pray that as we talk of other churches, we talk of them in, as a brother talks about a brother. And in our disagreements, Father, that there is always this abiding love that superintends the ways in which we sharpen one another and the way we develop one another spiritually. Father, for those who may be praying today, right now, about those 
those uh, relationships or those issues that they've elevated above people, Father. I pray that you would hear their prayers and uh, that you would speak to them again of what you've done for them. That their eyes would take a fresh look at the cross of Christ and the, the sacrifice made. Jesus is conquered sin. He's conquered death and he has risen from the dead and we have an eternity with him. And Father, as they do, as they have the, the picture of the cross in their mind's eye, they can see how incompatible that is with what this passage talks about. Father, I'm so grateful for your love for the church. I'm so grateful for your hand upon the church. I'm so grateful, Father, for your heart for us. And Father, we want to build upon that. We want to let you build your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand.